today, we are uh, we're really standing on, on holy ground in the timetable of the Lord. And I, I fully anticipate that um, the promotion and the transition that God has brought us into in anticipation of what is going to be coming in the next months and in the next year is, is an incredible thing. And um, with that, there are passages of Scripture which um, are shining a light on what God is doing in you at this time, in this point of promotion. And we, I mentioned something about this on this past Wednesday night, and I think we will, God willing, delve deeper into it for this coming Wednesday's teaching. And if the Lord gives a directive in another way, I'll find a way next week to, uh, to bring that. Perhaps I'll do a, uh, a, a series of primers on that, but we'll see. But the point is that God is really giving us the wonderful privilege of living out His Scripture, to, to be able to partner with God in the principles of His Word those who have gone before that have been preserved in the Holy Scriptures, God moved in those dear ones, and He's moving again in you in similar ways. Because the God, the, no Scripture is of, of, a, of a personal restrictive interpretation. The Scripture says that. And so I see uh, so many things that the Spirit is... Uh, illuminating that are real-time activities that are occurring in heaven in regard to you. And so we need to, we need to really cherish that because it is, it is not only, yes, it is a reality, but it is also inherit upon us to see what those things are in the Scripture so that we be can begin to be in instructed and that we can grow in that meat. And so um, just be looking for that this week. And it's, it's a very exciting time to, to be living. But today, I, I felt I felt so strongly, especially after our first Saturday prayer time this weekend, that God was going to be giving us a very clear directive today. And all through the day yesterday, I was studying and praying, and I kept feeling, Lord, you're, you're not telling me what we're supposed to speak on today, what we're supposed to release and it wasn't until early this morning that it just started coming. And it has to do with um, a word that we've studied a lot in the past, agape. And it, and it really does stem from the letter, uh, well, actually, the, 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 the last book in the Bible, Revelation, when John was receiving from the Lord directives concerning the seven churches in Asia. And where God spoke through Jesus in, in the risen Lord to John, 
and they knew each other very, very well, uh, about these seven churches. And when he spoke in Revelation 2, 1 through 7, we see his address to the church at Ephesus. And I, wa I, I want us to see some things here, and then we're going to look at how agape has been being tested in our world today and how we need to rely upon the true understanding of what agape is in order to overcome in these factors that we all see. But I wanted us to look, first of all, at how these seven churches and what Jesus spoke to them align with where we are today. Ephesus is the first church that is listed in this sevenfold progression from the Lord. And what we know about Ephesus was that they were formed uh, as uh, a group of zealots who were following John the Baptist's teaching. And then we see in Acts 19 when Paul came there, that, that famous passage of you received the Holy Ghost since you believed, and they said we haven't really had any teaching on that, which is kind of interesting because uh, these folks were devout followers of of uh, Jesus, and they they were really mighty people. And Paul had the opportunity then to go and to speak about the outpouring of the Spirit and lay hands on them, and tongues came to them. And it was a wonderful thing. And this was one of Paul's favorite places to go. And we find him saying, you know, in one instance, I really want to be able to spend Pentecost at Ephesus. And we see from his, uh, his six-chapter uh, letter to the Ephesians that these folks were really moving in the deeper things of the pneumaticos. I mean, he wrote to them about spiritual warfare. He wrote to them about armor. He wrote to them a number of things that were not playing around baby stuff. I mean, these, these people got a letter that was meant for an army in function. So when you see Jesus first addressing the church at Ephesus, we have to bear that in mind. Now, we've said in the past, and I really believe this is true, that whenever you see something happen in a way in seven in the scripture, it aligns with the ways of God. It aligns with the seven spirits and what we have what we've studied in the scripture about that. So whenever you deal with a sevenfold progression, you can either look at it, first of all, from the perspective of truth and sonship, but you can also look at it from the perspective of how spirit of judgment and burning is going to move. And I'm not reteaching about seven spirits today, but for the church at Ephesus, I believe that Jesus was saying, you all are an apex here. You are, you are really, you have personified what sonship is. You have really partnered with the Spirit in, in being guided into truth. You have found things that were hidden from the foundation of the world and presented with them, and you functioned in them. So when you read about the Ephesians, you see this in, in a great way. But there's a warning here. And that warning says, These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, your labor, your patience, how you cannot bear them which are evil. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. 
You have borne and had patience and for my name's sake have labored and not fainted. That's a, that's a powerful thing. Would that God would say that about you and me. What a wonderful thing that is. But then there comes this. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you were fallen and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this thou hast, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What a powerful thing. Now, if you were to read the next church, you find the Lord also talking about the Nicolaitans. And there he also talks about the, uh, those that have embraced Balaam and the council to Balak. And that, of course, that second, if we're following the progression of seven, would be the spirit of glory and of God. And it's a wonderful thing to read that. But, but there's a warning to Ephesus about the Nicolaitans, and there's a warning then next to the Nicolaitans and to Balaam. And what does that mean for us? Because I think those are prevailing factors that can knock you out, if you're not careful, of walking in the first love. Well, Nicolaitans are, um, there's a lot of debate as to what this is. And some would say that this is a, a, after a, a man who held certain doctrines and it, he was followed in, in a way that led people into a destructive pathway. We don't really know that, though. We, we have no idea. That's just a supposition. So the best thing we can do, if God doesn't give us a clarity on who was this Nicolaitan founder, is to see what the word Nicolaitan really means. And it simply means a conqueror of the people. That's what this transliterates as. Uh, and um, the Nicolaitan idea, which God hates... And I think that it's more of a factor rather than a person. For if you've got God hating them, God hated the Amalekites too. And when God says he hates something, it's more principle-oriented than it is individual-oriented. So we have a lot of factors that would try to conquer the people. We have that going on in the world right now influences that are so pervasive and so strong trying to conquer people and to cause them to bow the knee and come along with whatever the certain mindset is or whatever the prevailing doctrine is. And um, you combine that with the next, the next church where you also have Balaam, which is what was the, the problem with Balaam? Balaam wouldn't curse Israel, but he sure told them how to destroy Israel, have them intermarry with other religion, other belief, and, and have, have them, instead of conquering the ites in the land, you then begin to worship their idols and let 
your unique identity as a child of God be mellowed out to where you can't be discernible from anybody else. Those two factors work together, and it's, it's Nicolaitan, but it's also Balaam's strategy, and we see that today. We see that today, spiritually. Uh, we see that in the churches, so many of the churches, we're, the people of God are being told that, that foundational things are not important, that you cannot trust the Word of God, that there are other voices, other writings that are equal to or perhaps even more honored than the Word of God, that the Word of God is restrictive and, and it's, it's not really a word from God and that it's been used over the years to control and to restrict people rather than to give life. That's what's being taught. If you went down the street right here, down Abrams Road, you, you, you would encounter three churches that I know of that are teaching that very thing. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying that there is the element of Balaam, to go along, get along. And, you know, the third church in this progression is warned about Jezebel, uh, that, that prophetess that is devoted to, uh, you know, Jezebel means a virgin devoted to Baal. And it's, it has very little, if anything, to do with what we have said, or even the, 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 the uh, extreme churches would say a Jezebel is. It, you don't have to have a woman that's a vixen that's enchanting men. Uh, and, you know, there were some who, I remember there were a couple of guys that were pastoring a church up in New Jersey that came to one of our seminars because they heard what God was doing. And these two guys decided to tell me that we were going down a path of, of horror because we had so many women in ministry. And he also tossed out the Jezebel word. And I, I said, look, guys, we're not going to agree on what you're saying because I know that that is not true. But Jezebel really is an influence like it was for Ahab to where they're more interested in going along to get along in the world and being what Beelzebub would want, and that mingles in. So it's interesting that the risen Lord is speaking to his churches in Asia, and he first of all warns them about Nicolaitans, which God hates. He then warns them about Nicolaitans and Balaam, and then he warns them about Jezebel. And those factors are spiritual factors that are alive and rampant today. They may not call them that, but it is that. And so we as saints need to recognize our calling, what we are called to be as intercessors. We need to cherish the Word of God. We don't need to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. We don't need to go along to get along. We need to be a burning light for our Lord. And so Ephesus was, should have been at the head of that. And they did hold on to say, we're not buying into false apostles. And we are not going along with the Nicolaitans. And Jesus admires them for that. He says, I am grateful to you for this. 
But what was the influence that was dumbing down the Ephesian church? It was this. You've left your first love. So what does that mean? Remember what the translation of agape really is, and it's how the word was used in the Old Testament. It, it meant to breathe hard after. And so if you take that straight from the Old Testament and you see that agape should not be confused with compassion. Oh, yes, we need to have compassion. Oh, yes, we need to be philanthropic. Yes, we need to reach out as God directs to help others. But we must not blur those terms to say that agape is that. Do you understand this? The Christians are, are too easy about, about taking a term in the Scripture and then finding a consensus of what everybody thinks it is, and then they mix in what they wish it was, and then that's the definition. Agape is to breathe hard after the purpose of God. It is not the same as compassion. It is not the same as doing a good deed. We need to be doing those things. But when the Scripture speaks about agape, it, it is more than just having kind thoughts and, you know, giving a dollar to the guy that's standing on the street corner. Now, you can do that if the Lord directs you to do that. And we should be benevolent. And we've talked about that over the, over the months. And, you know, again, I, I don't need to tell you all the things that I feel led to do, but... Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just remind you of one. Every time I have the opportunity at the grocery store to give extra to feed the hungry, I will do that. And I'll, I'll do it generously. Uh, you can round up, but I also try to do more than that. And that way I know it's going to a group that's actually feeding the hungry. North Texas Food Bank does that. And so that's just one thing that I do. But, and we should be doing things as the Spirit guides us and directs. We shouldn't go overboard with it because our emotion can get involved. And then we're thinking, God's telling me to do this. But it may not be God. It may be your voice imitating God. Does that make sense? And I'm getting way off track here. But agape is not those things. Agape is the fire of God's Spirit within us that, that we must, like the Levites of old, preserve the burning, preserve the fire. And, and if we do that, then we will keep going after what God is commanding us to do. So first love. Well, what is first? We, we know protos, we know proton, we, we've talked about it being priority, but let's look a little bit further at how that can apply. It's one thing to say, make the agape your priority. Oh yes, we agree about that. But how else is protos used in the New Testament? Well, let's talk about some of them. It was a priority. It also was used to describe a leader. It was used to describe the firstborn. It was used to describe first fruits. It was used to describe first above all others in a different category. So the first love reminds us about agape 
but also from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. He was reminding about how we need to be a first fruits people, how we need to be a firstborn people, how we need to be leaders and not followers necessarily, and how we need to make his work a priority, how we need to say, regardless of what all else is going on, this is never in doubt. I can do all these other things, but this of God is above all and, and, and takes precedence. So the Ephesian church, as much as the Lord loved them, had somehow in their victory been, been nudged into a point of complacency had been nudged into a place where maybe they weren't breathing hard after God. And that's, it's, listen, it's easy to be pneumaticos individuals birthed by a, a, a desire to know the depths of the Spirit as the Father directs. It's easy then to become familiar with those things and then lose the passion of them. That's an easy thing. Just as it's easy to do that in any walk of life. You know, the... The, the burst of innovation and drive that causes you to achieve in anything, it's, it's difficult to maintain that when you master it or when you become so familiar with it that, that it's just second nature. And I think we can all agree on that. And so for us as saints, we've been blessed to live what, the first part of Hebrews speaks about. We've tasted of the things of the world to come. We've walked with God in its power. We have, we've been privileged to be guided into truths that are, that are precious in God's heart from the Scripture. And we've been applying them. We've been, we've been privileged to be able to teach them and to demonstrate them. And the challenge comes to remain as people who, who can do those things, but yet still be going hard after God in the Spirit. See, here's a challenge that all humans have. We pioneers soon become, um, <laughs> soon become people who, uh, who establish cities. And then that becomes the frontier. And then you need to be pioneers again. Israel did that. We're going into the new land. Okay, this is our tribal portion. Oh, let's talk to Manasseh and let's talk to those boys on the, on the side of the Jordan about whether they want to go in with their brethren <laughs> and fight in their land. No, no, we've got ours now. You know, we're, we're not pioneers anymore. And remember, Phinehas went and said, you boys better get your act together. We're all in this together. We're either gonna we're either gonna hang together or we're gonna hang separately. You get ready for war and you come over here and help us. It's and really then once they all got their land, we we find the times of Shiloh where the word of God was rare. There was no there was no breakthrough word coming. The scripture says that. And in fact, Eli and his two sons had lost. They had a form, but they lost what they should be. And when Joshua died, remember, the angel came up from Gilgal and said, what are you doing? I wish we'd had a video of that. We don't. 
We have the record in the Scripture. You all should be going out, driving these ites out of here, but yet you've become like them. That's what the Scripture says happened. So there's a tendency for us to forge into the new and then lose that pioneering spirit in God. And God makes us to be have feet like hinds feet to go upon the high places. And as soon as we conquer as he directs us to be, we need to rejoice, we need to say, yes, Lord, and then we need to get ready to listen to him as to what he wants us to do next. But we cannot do any of that if we don't have the fire of agape within us. That's the fuel that empowers that machine. And if we don't have that, regardless of whether we hate the Nicolaitans and have called out false apostles, God's not pleased with that. Do you see this? And so the agape is under attack. And I would ask all of us, all of us, you know, one thing about this past year, it's caused, and I know because I lived it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't exempt from this. We all lived it to where we were basically taken out of our routine and we we had to establish our altar at the house we had to establish the things that we do before the lord in places that were different and when that happened we had a lot of influences that started coming around us that we weren't used to things that we had put aside years ago but now we're pressed in with them again you know, like being at home all the time, like being with the TV within reach. And plus, what we didn't really have to the degree we have it now, 25 years ago, we didn't really have all the wonders of the Internet the way we have them now. We didn't have the, I didn't have the ability to have my phone where I can watch ball games, I can do whatever I want to do right there. It's incredible. Those things press on us, and we can get lazy. And we got family obligations. That presses in. And 25 years ago, I wasn't a grandfather. 25 years ago, I wasn't 63 years old either. That's a factor too. And, you know, you just kind of think, well, okay, what we have, you know, this is great. I wasn't up in the booth four days a week, and that's going to increase. And many of you are going to be up there too. Hopefully not all of us together. Nathan's going to have to, Nathan and Scott are going to have to get together and add on a balcony to that booth. So, um, but all of these factors press in and we manage them. But I ask, are we still, do, are we still first fruits people? Are we still acting as firstborn? Are we still acting as if the saints are a unique entity in the scripture and in the world today? that has a responsibility to teach the nations that are just now coming to line. It doesn't matter whether we've ministered in 30 nations. There are a whole lot more nations than that. They're all lined up, ready to go. Do we still have that passion and that fire to go and do that and to be that? Are we even ready for those groups? And God prophesied at the beginning of the year that there will be prophetic groups that will be coming alongside us are we going to be as fired up from God by our divine identity 
so that we can stand and exhibit that when people with other skill sets and strengths and notorieties come. We faced this many years ago when churches first started coming into this place, very powerful men and women of God coming here with their congregations. And I remember, do you remember this? Me saying, look, these people aren't coming here to minister to you. They're coming here to receive what God has given you. Don't line up and say, oh, sister, you have such a great gift. Can, I, can you counsel me? Can I just come and sit under your wing? It's not that you don't recognize their gifting. It's that you recognize your gifting and what God has called you to be and to do. Are we still moving in the agape that when we encounter these kinds of people, we're going to stand for what God has called us to be? I'm not speaking in a prideful way. I'm speaking in a functional way. You know, God has given me a very dear friend who's in the medical profession. And um, every couple of months, this very dear man and I will go and We'll just sit and have lunch together, and we'll talk. He's a Christian. He's a wonderful man. And, you know, he, he's talked about how in his professional life, he's on call all the time. People come to him. He has to do different things, surgeries and different advices, and he never really has the opportunity to just be a person. And, and so a lot of what we do is we just get together and talk, and I listen and can I remain a saint? Can I remain a pastor? Can I remain a person who is walking in sonship with somebody that is a wonderful person who has a skill set, who is a medical professional, well-respected in this city? Can I still be that? You know, I remember talking with a, a precious woman in this church who has a, a niece who is in the medical field. And we've talked about how difficult it is for this person. Can you imagine being a doctor? Everybody knows you're a doctor and you go to a party or you go to a family function. How difficult is that for that person to actually just be a person? Or they have to be on call all the time. Are they looking at Aunt Aunt? Aunt Jessie's elbow that's been aching? Are they looking at uh, Uncle Bernie's sore toe? I mean, are they dealing with all those things? Or can they just be a person? And, you know, the, the thing is that we can be people, but we must be saints. We cannot let the fact that we have grandchildren, we cannot let the fact that we have, um, and I'm speaking for myself, we cannot let the fact that, that we're older, we cannot let the fact that we've got other responsibilities now, we cannot even let the fact that we've got ministries going on all over the world throughout the week to, to some degree where you forget who you're talking to at a certain moment, you've got to think, whoa, that was last broadcast. Can we do all that and still be moving in the agape of the Spirit? Because that's essential. In fact, one of the verses that I reference here is um, 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but you remember what Paul says. He lists all of these things, 
giving all my goods to feed the poor, letting my body be burned as a sacrifice uh, in order for the gospel to go forth. And he lists all these wonderful things, and he said, but if I don't have agape in me, I've done nothing. And you know the reason for that? It's not just the fuel that, that helps us to move forward. It's that relationship with our Father where he comes and meets with us and shares his heart and shares his passion. That's where we get the fire. It's not because Michael Brown touched you in the stomach and said, fire. We don't get the fire just because people lay hands on you. That's more like just an arsonist. <laughs> we get the fire from our Father. And if we're not functioning as a firstborn, if we're not functioning as, a, as a, a leader who is responsible for this message, and you all are that, even the Apostle Paul wrote and said, you know, I have ought against some of you because at a time that you should be speaking as oracles of the Most High God, you're as such an one that needs milk again. Can we keep moving before the Father, no matter how much he's given us? That's the big question today because agape is what is under attack in our world today, just as it was with Ephesus. Let's look at some of these. John 15, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you move in agape with one another as I have loved you. Greater agape is no man than this, and remember we studied about this at one of our most recent seminars, that a man to theme his life for his friends. You are my friends if you continue to do whatever I command you. What does that say? It's imperative for you to be what you're supposed to be by God's directive, by what he put in you from the foundation of the world. That to theme of how you serve God in your anointing, in your gifting. Greater agape has no person than this, that a man will be that on behalf of his father and his friends. Are we that? Are we that? This is Jesus saying this. We, we need to walk in agape as Jesus walked in agape with them. And he's walking with us today. But that agape can grow cold. And we must not let that happen. Now, I mentioned current influences of the Nicolaitans. And I, I see this here. Even though it, it doesn't necessarily name them, um, how do you stand against influences that try to dominate society? I referenced 1 Corinthians 13. Some of those things that Paul lists, you'll have churches that are saying that if you're not doing that very thing, that you're not really following God. If you're not on the front line of social injustice, if you're not on the front line of giving all your goods to feed the poor, if you're not on the front, yeah, that, 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 that somehow you're not following what God wants. I'm sure you've heard that. Some folks who aren't walking with the saints anymore have said this in very big ways. In fact, uh, I won't go there. <laughs> I can't, I, honestly, I can't go there. But 
Paul says, he lists all these things. And, and to every one of them, he says, if I'm not walking in the agape of God, no matter what I do with these things, it doesn't matter. And then he says, now abides faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is agape. And we've taught on that a lot. I remind you of what that progression means. And um, then he goes into 14.1 of the tongues of men and angels and the importance of agape there as well. But let's look at Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the agape which is in Christ? Now, you want to you see what kinds of things will come against the agape in your life? And you tell me if we have not faced these in the past year. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Thank God some of those know. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that showed this agape for us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the agape of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Each of these factors have one goal, to separate you from the agape of God, to turn off in your thinking, maybe because you're worn out by it, you're just, and, and that's a tactic of the Belial influence in Daniel, they want to wear out the saints, they want to wear you thin, and then the agape goes away. The thing, the greatest of all is agape, and if the enemy can destroy that, Regardless of whether you call out false apostles and you hate the Nicolaitans, God will have something against you. And I don't want God to have anything against us. And I know you don't either. So these things, no height, nor depth, nor these things all come against agape. We must recognize that with tribulation comes or if um, distress we face those things. Those things come to try to stop the agape. You say, why does the enemy care that much about the agape? Well, not only is it the fueling of, of the way God moves forward as in his pioneers, his firstborn, but as it is, it is, as I said, that relationship with the Father, which the enemy hated from the beginning. He hates the fact that God created you in his image. He hates. He was the man killer from the beginning. He hates that prospect of you partnering with the Father. So I would say that the, the emphasis of that relationship is this agape love. And so if the enemy can stop that, he's not only stopped what he hates, but he's also in many ways, preserved what he deems to be his kingdom, and also he stands, as it were, thumbing his nose at God. So, you see, all of these things are designed to stop you from moving in the agape. Look at Matthew 24, verse 10. 
speaking about our day. Then shall many be offended. Anybody being offended in our nation today? I mean, you can't walk down the street without offending somebody. Shall betray one another. Shall hate one another. See any hate around us? Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity or twisted purpose is going to abound all around, the love of many, the agape of many, will wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The love, the agape of many, wax cold. That's an interesting word. There's so many applications of it. What's it mean to wax cold? That means to have layer upon layer built upon something to where you lose even the identity of what it was to begin with. You lose its function. It creates pain. It's separation. You know, in our bodies, um, wax buildup happens in the ear. I'm sure it happens other places, and that can be a really bad thing, can't it? Um, some people really suffer with that to where that wax builds up and they can't hear well anymore. And um, it's layer upon layer. And that's a tactic that comes against agape. Well, this one thing, I've got to deal with this. Oh, but then that brings another topic. I've got to carry these two things. And then this thing comes. And, oh, then I've got, uh, oh, yeah, my extended family, that comes. You know, my, my, my mother has this. And, and you know, my, oh, yeah, my nieces, they, they're, yeah, yeah, that's there. And then, oh, my work, oh. And what about me? You know, I've just, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to do this. And, and pretty soon the agape becomes covered over by all these things, and it's cut off from God, and it becomes cold. Now again, I am not saying you live like a hermit and you're of no good to anybody else. I'm not saying that. But we as ourselves, as saints, we need to say, what is that fire that God ignited in me that drives me or drove me to do what was necessary to become what I am in God, what he wants me to be. And, and I, am I guarding that as the fire from God? And am I watching that with whatever else I do, that that thing and that thing don't gang up on the fire and me being the wonderful person I am, just let it happen? Only we can answer that. Only I can answer that. And I have no idea what anybody in this place is doing, so I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm saying the same things that Jesus said, and if Jesus said it, I think it's pretty good for me to be able to say. We're responsible to preserve that agape because other things can wax over, and, and pretty soon the agape becomes cold. How does the agape to become cold? If you breathe hard after God, how, how can that become cold? I guess it could be shallow. I guess it could be cut off. You can become asphyxiated and then, you know, you got a glimmer of agape there, but 
It's really not manifesting the fire. So if the enemy can't get us through distress and tribulation and all these other factors to try to, to, try to knock it out, it, he'll try to snuff it out from within. We can't let that happen. 1 John 2. John has a lot to say about this. Verses 3 through 11. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Whoso keeps his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Now we'll, we're going to read the rest of this, but the word has been under attack. I mean really under attack over the past year. And this pretty much very clearly says that if we aren't functioning in the Word, <laughs> the love of God can't be perfected. And if the love of God can't be perfected, pretty soon it begins to atrophy and it begins to recoil. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk, also so to walk, even as we, he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, the true light now shines. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that agapes his brother abides in the light. There is none occasion of stumbling in him, but he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Whew. This is a big one. Because again, these are factors that are going on right now. You know, I just want to be very clear about what I deal with as somebody who is responsible and all of you are too, but I'm just talking about me. I have the mic. Somebody is responsible for bringing the word and cherish the word. I have no tolerance for the word being denigrated. I mean, it, there's just something that rises up within me when I hear somebody saying something negative about the word of God. It's just like an indignation that rises up. And I'm not glorifying myself. I'm just saying it's there. And, and I recognize how much we need the living Word of God, how much it is our life. And we, we, must, we must have the Word. So in continuing with the context that John is speaking about, the Word and the light, when I see somebody abandon the Word, not only do I not like that, but I start taking a dim view of that person. Do you ever feel that way? Or are you just so much of a holy Joe, you don't think that? Sometimes I think, what is wrong with these people? What do you mean these people? I think, what is wrong? How did this person abandon the word? And the more I think about it as a human, I start getting angry. And then 
The enemy is on that like flies on a flugelhorn. And, and I, I, he starts making me think things that I should not think. There is a connection, I want you to see this, by John, who's speaking about living in the Word, who's speaking about following that commandment, to follow the Word and keeping the commandments of God and walking in the light. There's a connection between why he says this and hating a brother. Hating a brother. Now, one verse that I didn't put in here was what Paul wrote about Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved agape this present world. Do you ever wonder that one verse? It was a book I got when I was in Bible college called, called Demas Has Forsaken Me. I still have that little book. Some of you may have it too. I don't know if they had it over at Evangel or not. But, uh, of course, I guess I'm in Evangel now, so I better stop saying that. Um, uh, but anyway... I wonder what Paul felt. And he says, Demas forsook me, having used his agape, used his, his anointings, his capacities, what he used to breathe hard after God, after the present world. I wonder what Paul felt about that. That's all we have from him. We do have Paul saying things that are pretty rough about people that stood against the work, the apostolic work. And I don't need to regale them. You know them as well as I do if you've read the Scripture at all. And there are some hard passages there. But we have to be very careful to look, first of all, preserve our agape before God. Preserve our commitment to the Word, regardless of what's going on. And if there's a brother or a sister who starts walking away from that, and even attack it, that we don't, we need to be analytical. We need to recognize what's going on, but we need to act in love. We need to act in agape without going into that next step, even if we don't voice it, of hatred. Because what that does is it separates us from the Father. I want the love of the Father. That's that's the essence of it. And this whole business of forgiveness. I was thinking about forgiveness the other day. And how that verse about unless you forgive as God forgave you. And it's not just about forgiving sins. It's about where forgiveness takes you. And how then you are in a different place. And your sins and your errors, he remembers no more. The old sea of forgetfulness passage, and as wonderful as that is. But you're operating in a new plane. And it's almost like when you, when you recognize that somebody has missed the mark, and they've done it in a disastrous way, and they've done it in a very hurtful way, and even as a, even as a whatever role I have here, there's somewhat of a father's role here, and I see people who have done these things and how they have hurt people that I love. And how they have, because of their actions in following what the enemy does, how it, it has absolutely brought incredible pain and, and confusion for many. Much like the angels that followed Satan. And it's difficult for us, but we must see it here as a necessity to be able to identify where that has happened and, and to not agree with it, 
but to do so in a godly way and not go into a point of hatred. John says this, and that's kind of a backdoor attack against agape. Very subliminal. And I don't, you know me, I'm not, I'm pretty much very similar person wherever I am. I'm not slamming people. You know, I don't, I talk with you, we've been friends for years. I don't, even people who did horrible things against this church and tried to do nasty things to me. I don't hate them. It doesn't mean that I don't remember what they did so that I can counsel others who are in the same crosshairs. But I don't hate people. But there is a factor that the enemy is trying to engender in our country right now, and it's just hatred. You know, it, it, it just is. Oh, an American across the street, they have different viewpoints than we do politically. Well, I hate them. And they mean it. I was watching an interview of, of, a, uh, of, a, of a young mother in Virginia who was with a, a group that was making uh, inquiries into what was being taught in the elementary school. And it, it's become a very polarizing thing. And um, while she was being interviewed, may, some of you may have seen it, a neighbor from across the street who they who had been friends of theirs for for a long time just went in front of the cameras and I guess I can say this this isn't a bad thing but just made uh, I won't say it made it a really nasty hand signal of both hands that was just seen and I thought who does that that is hatred and that's just a mild instance there's a lot of hatred trying to pervade the nations of the world right now is an influence, and we must not give ourselves over to hatred. Does it mean that we tolerate? Well, yeah, to a degree, we have to tolerate things, but do we? Um, do we? Do we? Are we oblivious to what's right and what's wrong? Well, we should know that, but we cannot. We cannot abandon the word. We cannot abandon or water down our pursuit of the light. And if we do see a brother who has abandoned that, who is attacking that, we cannot allow ourselves to go into that point of hatred because if we do, we cut off the love of the Father. Do you see that? Maybe that's not a message for anybody in this place but me, but maybe I need to hear it. These are tactics that are coming against agape, and they're very clearly spoken. Let's look at verses 17 through 21 of that same second chapter of 1 John. Herein is agape made perfect, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in agape, but perfect agape casts out fear. Fear torments us. He that fears is not made perfect in agape. We are moving in agape with him because he first showed that for us. And if a man say, I am moving in agape with God, but I hate my brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother has, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God love his brother also. Remember what Jesus said about Greater agape has no man than this, than a man to theme for his brother. 
That's the way we love those who may be doing things that aren't what they should be doing. We remain faithful to what we're called to be. And if there's something that comes to our thinking or our own self rises up, we need to make sure, is this waxing over what I'm called to be? Is, 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 my, is my energy and my, my explosiveness in God being now directed over here, is it off target? Am I conducting friendly fire here for somebody who's left the line? Am I like the commissars of World War II? If they see their brothers in arms running away, they turn and shoot them. That was one of the things that Khrushchev instituted in World War II, when it, particularly in the Battle of Stalingrad. He told, he told the soldiers, you're going you're gonna to fight these Germans that are coming into our country. This is our land. And if you choose not to fight and you run away, I will shoot you myself. And they were instructed to do that. We cannot do that. We have to stand in the gap. We need to stand. And we, we, we have to guard over this. Why am, I, why am I focusing on this? Because these all are in the Word of God <laughs> about what comes against agape. And maybe you haven't fought these things. Maybe you haven't dealt with these things, or maybe you've just dealt with them and you're such a brilliant saint that you overcome them. But for me, I have to say, God, don't let me get to this point. Do not let me. And I think my factor is if I didn't have responsibility for anybody else, I'd just blow them off. Honestly, I'd just tell you. I wouldn't think about them. I would bless them and say, adios amigo. I'm gonna, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. But the problem I have is I have responsibilities for other people. It's kind of like if you see your kid getting hurt, you rise up like a, a papa bear or maybe a mama bear because mama bears are more ruthless. Isn't that right, moms? And you go and you defend. You know, somebody can say things to me, but if, if they do something to my kid or to a grandchild, you're going to see pastor lay down his robes and go after them. I mean, that's just common sense. So the challenge I have is I see things happen, and I think, oh, God. <laughs> Look what that's done there. Look what that's done to these people. They're reaching out, and they're in pain. And you have to counsel them, but then you think, what in the world happened? And you think those things. And John was very much in that position. And you as a firstborn, you as a leader, you will face these things. And, and we, have to be, we have to be in a position where we, where we don't allow ourselves to go overboard and enter into this. Because it's, listen, it's a fine line. Why in the world would John, the one who is love, why would he do this? Why would he speak about this so clearly? Because it's a factor spiritually. Let's keep on. Second John, <laughs> well, wait a second. Did, did I, um, I think I didn't, oh, okay, here we are. Second John, this is Second John, it's only one chapter. Uh, verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we have 
had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, <laughs> that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. We're almost done, as you can see from the sheet. But when the Antichrist influence is moving across this world right now, um, that Antichrist influence will, um, will really also cause us, if we're not careful, to draw away from the agape and draw away from the commandments of the world. And deceivers are aligned with the Antichrist spirit. Deceivers, those who know how to speak in church speak. You know, John also wrote that there were many Antichrists at that time, and, and they came out from among them. And we have to be careful. A deceiver says things that sounds right, but is not right. A deceiver will read the person they're talking to and discern which area of vulnerability or interest you can go to to convince that person to gain entrance and to convince that person to believe a lie. That's what a deceiver is. And with this Antichrist influence, there are a lot of things that are being said right now in churchese that hook people and bring them out of the agape. We have to be careful what voices we listen to. And, and how do we know? Well, for one, this is a big topic in itself. But those that say Jesus didn't come in the flesh, um, do you know that one of the things that's being taught in a lot of progressive churches right now is that age-old Gnostic lie that Jesus really didn't come as fully man, fully God, and give himself? Bless you. That, that Jesus really was some ethereal being that really was just like a lot of other ethereal beings. Because the, the key to Gnosticism wasn't just focused on Jesus. It was the inclusion of other beings. And that's what's going on right now. There are many pathways to the Father, they say. There are many influences. And they'll go as far as to say that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He came almost like a Muslim identity, that Jesus was a prophet, but there are other prophets. And that's an Antichrist influence. It corrupts the sons of the anointing. And so we have to be very careful that we hold on to the Word of God and that we hold on to the unique identity of us following the one true God. Because these folks that teach this stuff are slick. They are deceivers. They have, I would dare say that not only have they polished their craft, not only are they like Rabshakeh in the days of Hezekiah, who know how to speak in the Hebrew language, and they're saying, don't speak in that language. You know, we don't want to get our people all in a flurry or standing on the wall. These deceivers came out of the church, many of them, and they know exactly what to say. I, there are many things that I could say about this, but there is, there is one thing we can do 
if anybody's speaking that there are other voices that are equal to the Word of God, don't listen anymore. That's a deal breaker. That, that's just a deal. Oh, but they're so sweet. Oh, but, you know, we have a relationship. They have an anointing. Look at all these people that are here with them. Oh, man, that, look at that. Don't listen to them. They're deceptive. If they say that, the Word of God is not really real or that there are many ways to God. That, you say, well, you know, that, that's old-timey teaching. No, it's not. It's new-timey teaching. And it's going on all around us right now. And it, 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 would, it would try to steal your children. It would try to steal those that work with you. And it would try to steal you if you're not real careful. Angels of light, the Bible says, will be in the days in which we're living, deceiving very even the very elect. And there are some simple things that you can do that you, that you will remain true to the Lord. And two of the main ones, the Word of God and walking in the agape, preserving that relationship with God. And I would dare say also praying in diversities of tongues, spending that time with God and keeping that pure. Don't let anything come over it. Don't let anything snuff it out. Don't let anything come that speaks another gospel. Because Jesus hates that. He hates these influences. He said it. I hate the Nicolaitans. And whatever's a conquering influence upon a group of people that is not godly, even if it's in the name of whatever, I hate that. I suspect there have been many Nicolaitan influences over the generations. What's happening today is kind of like a cocktail of all of these things together. You know, the enemy knows his time is short. And he's coming out with uh, ferociousness. So we must guard the agape. And the last passage of many that we could talk about. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, experience hope. We've talked about that progression before. There's no time does not afford me to go through it again, but you should know this progression. Hope makes not ashamed. The Bible says it's the anchor of our soul. Hope is that place in God where the seed of faith is, is uh, invested into us. Because the love of God, the agape of God, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Shed abroad is a really weird King Jamesy term. It makes it seem like uh, it should be uh, one of those Navy songs like Anchors Away that Dennis used to sing when he was dressed in white. You know, shed abroad. You know, we're going abroad. But it just means, like, the other day, I was getting water in the dog bowl. 
are Fabian's dogs who have been constant companions of mine for days. And when you go into the kitchen, the dogs are right there. You have an old dog, Freckles, that just stands there like a statue. She's so old, and she just stands there, but she remembers that something good happens in the kitchen. Now, the other dog, Maya, is full of all kinds of vim and vigor and a tail that just knocks Freckles over every time it's, it swishes. So I'm getting this water, and I forget that Fabian warned me about this. I forget that Freckles the Sentinel is standing right beside me. So I start to step, and I think, uh-oh, I've knocked into Freckles. I didn't fall, but I was concerned that big old me was going to crush this little dog. And I turned to say something, and the water in the bowl went all over the floor. It was shed abroad. And that's really what it meant. It had nothing to do with the seven seas or anchors away. It had to do with the way something pours out and it just goes everywhere. This describes the agape of God. And it's shed abroad in our heart. And if we go before God, functioning in the midst of tribulation, letting patience, which is the first sign of the apostolic work, gaining experience through that, and through it all, receiving those things that we're partnering with God to birth, which is what hope really is. If we come before God in that light and we say, Father, I just, with all these responsibilities, these are wonderful things, but the most important thing is connecting with you. That's my lifeblood. That's the agape. I must have that. God will shed abroad that in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He'll pour it out. You know, that wonderful promise in Joel 2, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You know, there's, there's some unique linguistic connections between when God poured it out on the church, at the birth of the church, but what he does in us is kind of like, this isn't from the world, this is for you. This isn't for all the nations right now. This is for your kitchen. This is for where you are right now in your heart. That steering wheel of what your life is directed toward. And God wants to pour that agape out on us. So I say that we must know that there are many factors in the world today that have as their main target eliminating the agape in your life. And I've just touched on some of them. Uh, you, can, you can let God continue to minister to this, but I would say just going back to what first love means. Agape, yes, but first. This is where you can really see in your life, am I still walking as a first fruits, giving the best of the best to him? Am I still walking as a firstborn son? Am I still walking in leadership? I am leading my own life before God. 
I am walking in that tetheme. I am walking as a temple and a tabernacle, and I have been given responsibility over that. Yes, he's my pilot, but yes, I am the leader that he put over this life. Am I doing that, or am I letting everything else lead me around? Am I taking responsibility as a protos? Am I walking as that's my priority? And only we can answer that. But I can guarantee you, the agape that God has given you is precious, and it is rare in this world. You have a responsibility like the Levites of old to keep that. And don't go after false fire. Don't go after strange fire. You know, the guys who did that in the Old Testament didn't have a very good outcome. God's fire is in you. Why do you need another fire? Why, have you forgotten about that fire? So, I speak the agape of the Lord over all of us. What is immediately ahead is glorious in the Lord. The opportunities to serve Him and the expansion that's coming is going to dwarf what we've known to this point. But if God gives us the entire world and we have active and vibrant outposts of saints in every nation, and I do not have agape, what have I accomplished? If I gain the whole world and lose that place where I am in charge, where I think and register, if I lose that and everything affects me, I'm blown about by every wind of doctrine, and fear comes and torments me because I'm not moving in agape. What have I gained? So, I say again, the agape, to breathe hard after our Father and His purpose is the most important thing. And I'm very glad, you know, that, that the Lord started to cause us, I'm finishing with this, but the Lord started to cause us to interpret Scripture by Scripture. And I, I, I made some statements on Wednesday night about higher education. Look, I'm glad that I was privileged to go into higher education. I am not disdaining that in any way. And if I said anything that would indicate that, I'm not saying I, I, I apologize. Here's the point. You're going to look at definitions of what agape is. You're going to look at definitions of what charity is. And it's not going to say what I just said. I just want you to know that right now. Are you saying, Pastor, that you're smarter than all these other people? No. Nope. In no way. I would never say that. But what I'm saying is that the definition we've seen of this comes from the Hebrew word from which the word was formed. And I don't see anybody saying that. I don't. And you cannot equate agape with compassion or the extension of compassion. Now, true agape can have a compassionate impact, but you cannot separate it from the word from which it's formed, which means to breathe hard after. You just can't. And the way that word was used in the Old Testament, most of it negative, 
where God was saying, these people were breathing hard, but it wasn't after me. So, if I remember correctly, there were 50 instances, but that's another story. So, what I'm saying is that as you study this, um, be very careful that you don't let the enemy say, well, now, wait a second, I'm looking at what old brother so-and-so said, and he's not saying any of this, so, oh, look, you know, he's been around forever. I bless old brother so-and-so, but I'm saying what God has shown from his scripture, where the scripture has interpreted scripture in the way the Holy Spirit used that word in the Old Testament and then how God used it and how there are other words in the New Testament that speak about compassion, that speak about showing mercy, that speak about showing other things. You know, when God uses this term, this is what he means. So don't be confused about that either. But most importantly, make sure that we're letting the agape of God burn in us. We need this. And I appreciate so very much the many of you who have, have really devoted yourselves to preserving that unique fire that God has given us for the saints. Um, and and I, I, I commend you, and I ask that the Spirit of the Lord would release a fresh breath of the wind of the Spirit to, to cause that fire to burn brightly. And um, we all need it, but let's, let's recognize, and this I'm done, let's recognize that the enemy wants to destroy the agape, and uh, we, we note that, but the most important thing we must recognize is that Jesus said, Ephesus, where's your first love? Let it not be said to us, unless it was immediately answered right here, Lord. I want more. Amen? So, Father, I speak blessing over all of the people in this house right here in Dallas, and I, I ask you, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit upon all of us. And, and I ask for those who are part of this church who are uh, in other places today, maybe some who are in outposts who are part of this church, but miles don't allow them to be here, or people who are traveling. Bless those dear ones as well. I speak blessing over all of our Saints Network family, the brother and sister churches and prayer groups and individuals. And Lord, for the international outposts, God, pour out your spirit upon them today. Let your agape burn brightly in all of us. And let us move forward in you. Lord, bless and provide for whatever your people need. Lord, if there is a special area in, in the life of any person listening to this broadcast now, whether it's healing, whether it's favor, whether it's direction, whatever it is, Lord, you said if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you would add everything we need. Bless your people. And I speak that forth now as a measure of provision. We love you, Father, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. Help us to do that in the way that pleases you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. God bless you all. And we will uh, look forward to being with you again throughout this week. Till then, goodbye.